So this episode is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. I'm here with Dahlia Fami, owner of Sports and Ortho, where they specialize in rehabilitation services of fire and police. Dahlia, welcome. Thanks, Corey. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, how long does does it typically take for you guys to get an injured person back to work, let's say after like a surgery? Our average quarry is less than five months, even for big surgeries like ACL repairs or rotator cuff surgery. In the last 17 years that we've been open, we've had less than 10 people not return back to work from an injury. I think that's a pretty good track record. Wow. Yeah, that is impressive. Well, folks, there you have it. If you're looking to get back from an injury, look up our friends at Sports and Ortho. They have seven locations across Chicagoland. You can find them online at sportsandortho.net. Thank you, Dolly, for being here. Pleasure was all mine, Corey. Okay, welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories. This roll call is with Mark, who is a retired CPD bomb squad technician. Is that what you would call yourself, Mark, a technician? Yeah, we were, the department called us explosive technicians, but bomb bomb technician or, you know, yeah. You're commonly referred to as the bomb squad. Yeah, right? exactly. Congratulations on your recent retirement. How's that well, going so far? Much. It's going quite well. I recommend it highly. <laughs> oh so, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. So how long did you have on with CPD? 31 years. How did you start, uh, how did you get involved with the police department? Because I, I know you can't just get hired on uh, with the police department and go right to the bomb squad. How, like, tell us right. about how you started. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I was like everybody else. You know, I got on in 1988. I think I took the test in 84 or something, maybe 86. I don't recall that, but... There was like 20,000, you know, candidates, you know, everyone went to high schools and stuff. We all, I ended up going to Lane. You took the test and you waited and you waited and you waited. And uh, then I eventually got on in uh, 1988. Um, I was assigned to the 23rd district for my uh, probationary period, you know, like a a recruit. And then I was there for about a year and I went to the 25th district at Grandin Central. I was there for about eight years and, uh, you know, just doing patrolman work and stuff. And uh, a test came up for youth, so I became a youth investigator, and I had about eight years on the job at that point. And it was about, I'm trying to think, 96. And uh, a couple of years later, I went to the, um, the bomb and arson section, and then that's where I wanted to go. You know, I, I know back in those days, they would tell you, I mean, it was, it, it was, they would tell you at these different, you know, the chief of detectives would come in and say, listen, if you want to go to a certain area or auto theft in those days or bomb and arson, go and interview with that commander. So that's what, that's what I did. And um, if I had gone to school for fire science and stuff like that, and I remember the commander, his name was Jack Kennedy, he asked, uh, 
know, what do you want to do this? I'm like, well, I went to school for it. It just always interested me. You know, I didn't want to, I really didn't have a big uh, driving desire to look at homicides and stuff. You know, right. I, uh, you went to school like, for fire science prior to getting with CPD? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did. And uh, it worked out well, you know. And uh, so, he, you know, he was good enough to go on last for you. And uh, I think there were only two spots, and I got one of them, you know. And I was, uh, you know, I told him, I said, I don't have any clout. I don't have any whack. You're not going to get a call from, you know, uh, you know, the, the cardinal, or you're not going to get a call from an alderman. I don't have any. But, you know, and he said, well, that's for you, which I was like, wow, cool. So I worked there in the bomb and arson section for, I want to say about five or six years as an arson investigator. And they sent me to a lot of school, um, you know, cause and origin and all the different facets of, of fire. And, and they kept on sending me to different uh, different schools, you know. So then about, I want to say like 2003, 2004, I, uh, they had openings on the bomb squad and I applied and I uh I got on the bomb squad, you know, and they sent me to a lot of schools, you know, uh, basically the, uh, the training to just get, you know, you have to go through a series of tests to get on the bomb squad. And then we had to go through a hazardous materials course through the Chicago fire department. And then we went, we were eligible to go down to Huntsville, Alabama, um, for a, a course and, you know, the, the basic, uh, bomb tech course and uh, yeah that's how I that's how I got on you know that's, that's what happened with me you didn't have this desire to always want to be a bomb squad guy you kind of got into it because you got in with the arson kind of made a move over to bomb so this wasn't like something that you really had your heart set on no it wasn't no it wasn't um you know I wasn't I wasn't a, a kid you know as a kid I wanted to be a fireman you know I thought that would be the, the best job you know <laughs> and so I went to school and um, I'm like maybe I'll get on the fire department well what I think the fire department's got four or five thousand guys and the Chicago Police Department had what thirteen thousand so my shot was better but then I would see the bomb squad and the bomb and arson section it was, it was kind of divided in two they had the arson guys and the bomb guys and uh, I saw how you know some of their how they worked and the tools they used and stuff. And it, it became very interesting to me, you know. What was your rank within the police department at the time that you became a bomb squad guy? I was a detective. Okay. Can you, can a patrolman be on the bomb squad or you got to have some time on before you can kind of get that spot? Yeah. You, I, I believe that you have to have at least five years on that now. Uh, back when I got on, you had to be detective. So I was a detective and I was eligible to, to apply for the bomb squad. I don't think they have that now, though. I think you can be a patrolman and, and get on the bomb squad after five years of being, you know, employed by the, the city. We know what the police department. Well, I think um, I, in talking to somebody about that, that they may have changed that requirement because so many guys were coming out of the military with really good experience in that field that mm -hmm. they didn't want to miss out on really qualified guys to move in those positions. Yeah, um, and that very well could be the case. You know, I don't know. I, I know we have former military in, in the bomb squad, you know, and I don't know if um, there, I don't think there was a lot of them that actually were EOD technicians in the military. They were just, 
I shouldn't say just, but they, you know, they had regular army jobs or military jobs, you know, but I, um, yeah, it couldn't hurt. I'm sure if, <laughs> if you walked in and said, listen, I got a, uh, you know, I was in the, the military and did an EOD, it, it wouldn't hurt you, you know? Right. Is there a big distinction between, and I'm, I'm sure you've had some kind of training that involved like military type stuff. Is there a, a a distinct difference between bomb disposal in the private sector versus the military? Yeah, I would say there is. And I think if you were looking at somebody who's a military bomb disposal guy, he's probably very well versed in military ordnance, probably ours and, and theirs. With the influx of uh, the IEDs and all this and that, they're getting I would imagine they're getting better intel than we are, or at least faster intel. But, you know, the unique thing, too, and I would imagine, and I was never in the military, but what I've heard has, has, there's been cases of, you know, well, there it is. Well, we can stay way in the back and, you know, shoot it and it blows up, it blows up, you know, and rightfully so. If they're in the middle of nowhere, who cares if, you know, they shoot a, shoot a, a device and it's, high orders they're 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 far enough away no one's around um and god bless them we don't have that luxury you know you know you're, you're doing your best not to get the thing to go off because i mean it's just the nature of the beast we populate it and you do the best you can but you know the last thing is the last thing anybody wants is the damn thing to go off well i can imagine that 31 years on that the technology in the bomb squad has changed dramatically from the time that you started to the time that you retired. Things got way more sophisticated for you. You had a lot more tools to at your disposal. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. And, you know, I was there, you know, how the passage of time goes on and you don't, I didn't realize how long I had been there, but I remember and people of my age who were in the bomb world, we would joke they had wet film, you know, and it was, you would take a picture, it was a, an x-ray, and, you know, especially in the winter, the first order of business was you had this, it was like an envelope, and it had, uh, it, basically it was a Polaroid camera, it, Instamatic, and here's the thing, I know people that are listening to this conversation, they have no idea what I'm talking about, but... <laughs> about it, a I Polaroid mean, that, camera? The truth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that was you know, that was cutting edge where, you know, you would take a, a picture and you would process it. We had our own processors in the truck and you would get, you know, a, a hard photographic paper of the image you were looking at. That was it. And in the winter, you would take this envelope and you would put it on like underneath your jacket, you know, on your chest so that those chemicals wouldn't freeze. That's, that's where it was, you know, and that was, and, you know, the first time I saw that, I was like, this is amazing. You know, it requires no, it, you didn't have to plug it in. You got an image. Yeah, it was, you know, and now it's, it's so much better. It's so much safer, you know, and then I'm not saying it's not, it's not uh, safe now. I'm, you know, it's still a dangerous job, but uh, yeah, from where we started out, it was, uh, we have a robot now through uh, through purchasing and stuff like that, and 
actually my my current boss or my former boss who's still there, he started buying robots and looking for grants. And uh, you know, the first robot we saw was was literally almost like an erector set where if you want to be armed in one position, get it in that position. If you found out it wasn't it wasn't going to work in that position to move something, you had to call the robot back and take the rod out. You know, you <laughs> put another rod in and put the pin back in and then send it back down there. I mean, now you can actually move this stuff. It's changed dramatically. It's just amazing. Would you say that a good majority of the bomb disposal jobs that these guys go on, that there's still an element that somebody's got to physically put hands on this device? There's been times where you have, you know, they, we've always been trained, you don't touch it. You know, you do not touch it. And if, you know, if you can, if you can pick it up and do something in five seconds or it's going to take you five hours to move it via, you know, mechanical means of the robot, you know, get a robot. But, I mean, that was always the, the mantra. They do not, um, they don't want us picking things up. The truth is, you know, there's times where you're in a situation like I can't get a robot up here. You know, I can't use all the tools that I need to use. So, yeah, there's times where you got to pick something up. So you're doing a very thorough um, threat assessment. You know, what what is this thing? That's the other part of the big part of the job is doing a thorough, correct threat assessment. With what you're telling me right now, you're making me believe that all those movies that I've seen are completely way off with the guy putting on the suit, going out there and just start playing with this thing and dealing with all that. That's all like last resort stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if they can, if, if we can use mechanical means to approach something, that's what we're going to do. But now to turn around and say, well, so we never wear a suit. Yeah. There's, there's all there's all kinds of times you have to put the suit on. It's just the nature of the beast. Do you remember the first time that you actually had to go out and physically disarm a device or manipulate a device or find out that it was, you know, what, what was your first job as a bomb disposal guy? Uh, I you know what I don't remember one. I've got a few that stand out, but I remember one of the first times I put the suit on. It was downtown. We were on Michigan Avenue. So that's high high profile then. You're you're, you're on Michigan yeah. Avenue in a bomb suit. Like you're you're yeah. about as high profile as they get. You got a million cameras yeah. on you. There's got to be tons of people around. You're what time, is this during the day when everybody's out? Yeah, it was yeah, I mean it was as high profile as you can get. <laughs> really, you know, there just a ton of people out there and stuff. Someone had set a uh, a briefcase or a piece of luggage, a small piece of luggage near uh, a garbage can. So we, I don't think we had the, the robotics as we did today. And uh, so, you know, you put the suit on, and uh, my sergeant was there. And um, he's like, listen, you understand there's all kinds of cameras. And I'm like, yeah, put the suit on, take your time, got it, okay. So I did this, you know, and when they put that suit on you, you know, the last thing you put on is the helmet, and then they plug you in, and you get uh, ambient air. You know, it's not, uh, we're not like the, like you guys, we're not like the firemen where, you know, you have to wear the, the air pack, uh, you know, you're just getting ambient air, which is. Just basically a fan is know. blowing on you. Yeah, just basically a fan is blowing inside the, uh, inside the suit, put the helmet on you, and it's silent. 
you know, unless somebody's screaming through their glasses, you know, it's, it's just a weird feeling, you know, it, I guess it would be the closest thing that I could imagine being like an astronaut because all you hear is all I heard was my breathing and my heart, you know, my heart's, it wasn't out of fear, but it's just, it's quiet and it's a surreal feeling. And, you know, I, I've been on jobs since where they you put that suit on and, you know, you're walking down and again, down downtown and it's empty. It's completely empty. It's been evacuated. And it's you in this device. And you look back and, you know, the fire truck is back there and the ambulance is back there and you realize, you know, they've called them for you. That's, you know, they, they call the fire department for you. That was our protocol. Right. It's, it's not a fearful feeling. It's, it's just like, wow, this is it. <laughs> this is the big show, you know? What, kind of a neat thing. What was you know? the outcome of that device that, that you're recalling on Michigan Avenue? No, it was, it was garbage. It was just a piece of, you know, trash. But, um, the circumstances surrounding it, I guess somebody, um, somebody had, dropped this thing off near the near a garbage can, went into a store, or obviously they, they picked up a bag. They dropped their old one off. They just left it on the street. And, you know, at the time, I'm trying to think, it was post-9-11, and, you know, they got concerned. And so we called out the troops. And uh, Can you tell me about uh, a time where it was a legit bomb that you were actually called out or – kind of stumbled upon or like one that was legit because i can i have to imagine that a ton of these call outs that you guys get wind up being something just like that where you know somebody right. homeless guy carrying you know a suitcase just leaves it behind and now it's a suspicious package right can you tell me a, a time where you went out and it was legit yeah there was a job um at city hall and somebody had mailed I, I going to the mayor um, a device and they caught it in the mail you know the incoming mail at city hall and they called us and we took care of it it was uh it wasn't really that sophisticated but in basically in theory it could have it could have detonated but it wouldn't uh it, you know it was kind of like certainly wasn't computer components and stuff like that it was a real kind of a mouse trap uh Rube goldberg type of setup so yeah, I mean it was classified as a legitimate device, and he had, he had mailed stuff um, to, to various elected officials, and uh, they ended up catching them, lacking them up, you know. Oh okay. And uh, no one was no one was uh, hurt, but he uh, he was you know he was scaring the hell out of the politicians and stuff. During your um, time on the bottom of arson cloud, did you have any of your members get uh, injured? I got injured. I got injured. Uh, Doing a disposal, um, there were some chemicals that were labeled oxidizers, and what you want to do with those is you leave everything, um, you know, you separate them between the fuels and the oxidizers and stuff. So I put uh, two oxidizers together, and one actually was so much stronger than the other, it made the other one a fuel and it ignited on me, you know, so. While you um, were while you were working on this device, you you combined two oxidizers. Oh no 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 no! This was, this was two two separate and completely different incidents. Oh, and one okay. was just a disposal operation, and this uh, the one at City Hall was I you know, dismantled it without incident, sent it off to. But the the, the, the time you got hurt, you were you were comp- 
you were working on a explosive device? No, they were just oh. chemicals we were disposing of. Oh, you know, okay. Really kind of a, okay. I, I didn't know that you guys responded to stuff like that. What had happened is we don't. But <laughs> they were they were chemicals that the city had purchased for the arson. It was like uh, the arson section, and it was one of the hey, we, we should get rid of this, you know, cleaning out the storeroom type of thing. And uh, so we, you know, we okay, next Tuesday we'll get rid of it. So we all went down there, and we had other items to dispose of. And uh, we started putting this one together and that one together, and things, the thing took off on me. Dang. Uh, what was the extent of your injuries? I was blind for a couple hours, and I had burnt my hands and my face. I'm okay now. I mean, God bless him. And uh, I'll tell you the truth. I know firemen were right there, and uh, one of my fellow techs, uh, the female, uh, Cindy, she had enough presence of mind to start flushing out my eyes and stuff right away with a bottle of water. And uh, the fire department came. You know, they uh, they came right away, and, you know, they bailed my bacon out of the fire. So we <laughs> like the firemen. No, really. I mean, honest to God. Um, I know it sounds like a public service announcement, but, yeah, I, I like the fire. Don't forget, you're on the, the podcast, Chicago's Bravest Story, so I don't think anybody's going to give you too much of a hard time about it. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work with the fire department as, a, as one of the, you know, arson guys. And, um, you know, on the bond side, we work with uh, the hazmat guys a lot. And uh, I never walked into a firehouse and, you know, one of these guys, you know, a fireman didn't offer me a cup of coffee or, you know, hey, we got soup in the back if you want something. Yeah, that, I can't complain. You know? <laughs> it's funny that you you bring that story up because I have here in my notes one of the things I wanted to ask you is if you still have your original eyebrows being a bomb. Yes, I mean, <laughs> they grew back. It was a good time, I'll tell you. And now there's a whole story that goes beyond this. Okay, is the you know so I'm, I'm sitting there in this field now, you know, and I'm like, okay, and we're we'll calling the fire department and all this and then and point of uh, note is they changed the protocol now and I was a big guy like pushing this is like hey before we do anything let's get the firemen here because right. we used to unload everything and pack it all up and then when we were ready to detonate it or do whatever we were going to do we would call the fire you know in non-emergency and hey can you send somebody out and they would send us a fire engine and an ambulance well now it's like hey here's an idea let's call them let's call those guys first <laughs> so we do that and um, the other thing was yeah I'm like okay I hope I can see again and I was frightened you know I hope I can see again and the, the engine company gets there and like okay you find out what happened alright we're gonna you gotta get your clothes off so we can decontaminate you and you're pouring a you know spraying water on me you know and it was it wasn't a you know heavy stream or anything but I'm sitting here so I'm, I'm sitting in this field in my underpants <laughs> And uh, the firemen are there, and my teammates are there. And bomb squad guys, they are compassionate in this. You know, of course, they're like, hey, nice whitey tidies and all this. And that. So <laughs> it was enjoyable. And, you know, of course, there's two female paramedics, so I had to feel like a jerk uh, around them. And so, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, I'm sitting here in my underpants in the field and in the mud, and oh, at least it's not raining. And then it started to rain. And God bless her, the paramedics got there and, you know, scooped me up and, you know, 
And she's like, feeling some morphine? I'm like, yeah. I don't know if that was for my injuries or the embarrassment, but <laughs> I got a little morphine out of the deal. I'm a happy guy, you know. Well, good. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Why not? I, that's totally indicated in that situation. So I'm glad they hooked you up. Um, hats off to those guys who took care of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things I wanted to talk about, um, now it all depends on your, um, how often you watch these, uh, bomb movies, but I have a list of couple movies that I wanted to go through and get your opinion of, but you have to tell me if you've seen them. Have you seen the movie blown away with Jeff Bridges where he's a Boston bomb guy and the guy from how realistic is that guy's character? He, he just is kind of like a rebel bomb guy going on. And I think he's an instructor at the Boston police department or something like that. Um, any, anything of from that movie that you would be like, Oh yeah, that's totally legit how he did it. Or this is just total bullshit. You know, I, 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 I started watching it somewhere along the line. He's at a, I think if it's the same one, he's at a birthday party or something for a, his child and, um, you know, he gets the call and off he goes and he pulls up and everything's, you know, blacked off and he gets out of the car and his Hawaiian shirt and flip flops and hang on a second, I got this. And, <laughs> you know, two minutes later, it's done. It's, it's never like that. It's never been like that. Never happened. And I, you know, if, so, I, if I remember correctly, he was, wasn't it like a really good looking woman that he was like the bomb was under or something like that? And, yeah, it could have been. I, I don't recall. I don't, I, you know, I did. You know, I kind of lost interest when I thought, you know, he gets out of the car and he's wearing so a that, Hawaiian shirt. Like, that okay. was it for you, huh? That was it. Yeah. I don't watch a whole lot of, like, the Hurt Locker people. Well, that was I, the next I've one seen, on my list. That was yeah, the next one on I've my seen list. part of the Hurt Locker. Um, the, the suit is real. The suit is, um, you know, that's the kind of suit we wear. Other than that, no. Doesn't ring any bells. What about you know, uh, the movie? What about the movie Speed? There's a couple of bomb disposal scenes in that movie. No, I don't. I didn't. I don't think I ever saw that one. No. Okay. You know, because here, here's the thing. You know, we've we've trained and we've been trained on how to remove and how to counteract a device that you know is, is attached to a victim. We've done that. I mean, training wise. Okay. But they don't. You know, this whole thing is look at the timer and you got 30 seconds to do this. I've never run into that. Never. What was so, that? That um, a while back, the, a guy had a bomb connected around his neck, and had a sign on it, and it wound up blowing. There was a whole documentary of it. Yeah. Do, do you remember um, what that was? I, I know what you're talking about, and I don't. I want to say that happened in Minnesota. I could be a hundred percent wrong. I shouldn't even be guessing at this, but yeah, he was like the victim, you know. Um, and they turned around. And there was a whole like drama about like when they finally get around to finding out who it was, and it was really twisted. A super interesting documentary. I I wish I could remember off the top of my head what it was, but uh, yeah, I mean that thing went off, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, and they couldn't get it off of him, right? Right. There was, was just uh, there was no way to get this thing off of this guy. Yeah. And yeah. it was basically like the police just had to um, form the perimeter, and mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what they're telling this guy. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. It's a nightmare scenario. Yeah. Did you, you know? did you guys have anything as harrowing as that? 
in your career? Uh, no, I can't say I have. You know, they would be, they would be the, you know, that's the thing that keeps people up at night. You know, that, that that's that's the worst possible scenario, I would imagine. You know, we've trained for different events like that. You know, to uh, to some degree. You know, we've done a lot of training and do, um, you know, the, the stuff you'd see on TV. You could, uh, to some degree, we could do that. You know, like uh, hand entry and stuff like that. We train that. What is what is your biggest oh shit moment as a bomb guy in your career? I don't know the whole oh shit moment thing. We've moved things that you know we knew if, if we screw this up we're you know we're we are screwed you know we're you know we're going to have a real problem um kind of a funny story i was new and they always had these scenarios that uh in school where you would have to you know you have to the scenario is you have to it's a hand entry problem and this and that so we, we go and, you know, we all handle it. And this is back in the school. And turn around and I get back to work. And I'm working with my partner, Danny McGuire. Gotta love him. And um, we get this job and there's a suspicious package at the, uh, the neonatal intensive care unit at Cook County Hospital. Okay. Okay. So off we go. And we uh you know we get there and we take a picture of this thing next right and right in the middle of this box is the most beautiful looking hand grenade you ever want to see the most beautiful the most looking moment. what hand grenade it was just a oh. beautiful clear picture of a hand grenade in this box and that was an oh shit moment for me and um so Danny turns around and he had realized that it was an overexposure from the previous job um, in this this old piece of film, you know, oh. this, this old setup. And I didn't, I didn't know. And he's like, "Okay, I know what happened." So we rectified the situation. But one of the hazmat guys says, "You know, I've been doing this for about twenty-seven years." He goes, "That's really scaring to me. Like I've been here for two weeks to shit my pants, <laughs> you know." So yeah, that was kind of an old shit moment. So there was no hand um, grenade. It was just, it was, it was just overexposed yeah, just from a, a, an old picture of an hand. So that run yeah. before was an actual hand grenade. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's all we would get. That was, I mean, that was probably pretty much our bread and butter is uh, military ordinance and stuff, you know. Um, and basically the scenario was always uh, pretty much, you know, grandpa died and, uh, the kids are, you know, grandma had the house and then grandma died and the kids are cleaning out the house and they find something in the attic. Um, you know, that happened a lot. That happened quite a bit, you know, so you'd have to go. And now there's the other thing is, you know, you would talk to the next of kin because these people are passed away and, okay, where did you, you know, where was your dad at? Well, he was in the army. Was he in the army? Well, yeah. Okay. Where did he fight? Or, well, you know, I, well, we wanted to kind of ascertain where, what are we going to be looking at? What was era? It a Japanese ordinance? Yeah. Well, yeah, usually the ones I'm talking about, for some reason, after World War II, apparently these guys got off the ship and the army was there saying, hey, listen, you did a good job with the Jerry's, have a couple of hand grenades. 
<laughs> you know, they were just giving them away. All these guys came home with hand grenades. So um, we were trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out where this came from. And if it was, you know, if it was ours, if it was a United States military, we had a pretty good idea how to handle it. The, the thing that got a little hairy was Japanese armaments, they used picric acid, which is, you know, after time, it loses its stability. So you could have a problem with that. So that's, you know, that was all part of the uh, the assessment. Is okay, what am I going to find when I get there? And a lot of times, you know, the grandkids didn't know or the, the children didn't know. Well, my dad's from the Pacific. Okay, so he was fighting the Japanese. Did he bring this home as a souvenir? Right. You know, different types of explosives. So you had to be kind of well-versed in different explosives and stuff like that, you know. So when you get one of these souvenir hand grenades or anything like that and you guys take it what do you do with it then what do you, like both of them yeah we get rid of it you don't uh detonate it yeah i mean that's what yeah we would we would where do you go you about know. doing that do you have those big containers or something or yeah. do you just take we, it out to a field you and can put it in the yeah i mean depending on what the what the parameters is you know it, is it safe enough to be transported is it safe enough to uh, detonate at a later time. Can we do this later, or do we have to do it right now? This thing is is, is such a. It looks so fragile that I don't want to move it at all. You could. Uh, we're we're going to detonate it right in the house. You, know? <laughs> um, you just. Uh, well, you've mean, done that where you you've just exploded something inside the house. Yeah, we did it once. I did it once with my partner. It was a pipe bomb. I mean, there was nothing else we could do about it. You know, there was nothing. It was in the basement. It was, uh, you know, it was it was shielded. It was underground. It was a typical Chicago basement. And somebody found a pipe on there, and like, well, this is. It, it had made no sense to move it at that point. There would have been more of a hazard. So we just we, we rendered it safe in the house, and it worked. You know. We, well, I know you. Uh... Before we started recording, you said you had a couple stories you want to give us. Uh, one of them, unless we've already covered it, if if you have, uh, now would be a good time to, if you wanted to share yeah, one I, of those stories. I'm trying to think, I, uh, um, I don't know. I, I guess I would I'd touch on the fact that we always got along real good with the fire department. I know there's that whole, you know, whatever you want to call about it. You know, some guys. There's not really. There's no real. Yeah, I think when it, when the chips are down, everyone's everyone comes together. Yeah. You know, uh, I know New York. They have a really hard relationship between the fire department and the police department. But in my experience, you know, I'm I'm out in the 11th district, and those guys are amazing. We get along with those guys great, and I never hear any you know other houses talking that everything's in Chicago at least. We got a we got a really good relationship, and I feel fortunate to be out there working with those guys. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. You know, because and I never, like I said, we did a lot of work with OFI, and those guys were always, you know, there were times we have a difference of opinion, but it was always respectful, which was fine. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and I worked a lot with the Glenn Lyman and Dan O'Connell on the hazmat teams and stuff, and they were always, they were great to us. I mean, they. You know, that was a first order of business. Make sure you guys are safe, you know, and God bless them. You know, I mean, and I mean that. I know it sounds like a public service commercial or something, but I had nothing but good things to say about the fire. Um, I got a story for you, though. Um, O'Hare Airport, 
they decide they're going to have a training situation. So the deal is that they're going to hide a small amount of explosives in this piece of luggage. They're going to call the canine guy. He's supposed to, and we're basically they're going to see what he does. Now this is not the bomb squad's idea. This is a you know the boss's idea. Okay, so. I'm supposed to sit like behind a newspaper or something just to make sure that no one steals this uh, luggage with the explosives in it. So I'm watching, and sure enough, the canine guy gets there and he does his business and dog alerts. And, okay, so he gets on the radio and I say, Okay, I've got something, and I need this and I need that, and send me a sergeant. And, okay, and it's all going down like clockwork. And um, another canine guy starts approaching him and his eyes are wide open and the sergeant comes up and he's like, okay. And the canine, the second canine guy goes, yeah, I got something on back there too. Where where you weren't doing the training. Right, exactly. (laughs) That's not part of the scenario. So he gets the information on the bag and the FBI is there. So listen, can you give me who owns this bag? Well, they're back in about five minutes. We've discovered who owns the bag. We've got people going to this guy's house. I mean, it, it was like literally within five minutes. So I'm thinking, okay, this is still a training scenario because nothing ever happens this fast. Nothing. <laughs> so it, was, it was going too well, like, right? Yeah, it's going too well. Exactly. So the first is like, listen, this is not part of the drill. Okay. All right. Sarge, sure. It's not part of the drill. It's like, no, really. You got to understand. <laughs> this is not part of the drill. I'm like, Okay, well, here, if it's not part of the drill, let's shut down Terminal 3. It's on the radio. Shut down Terminal 3. I'm like, okay, this is not part of the drill. So we identify this, this piece of luggage, and we end up opening it up, and we're going to we do this dynamically, okay? And we're all set up to do this. And we get a call. All right, listen, hold off, because the boss wants to see this. I'm like, so it is part of the drill. No, it's not part of the drill. He's like, okay. But, you know, it was just funny where, you know, everybody got wound up and then you couldn't, you couldn't tell if this was actually the real thing or not. And it was just like one of those goofy stories that uh, you laugh about later. But, uh, yeah, we opened it up. With, we actually found out that there was nothing in that bag, but the guy had previously stored ammunition in that box, or, you know, with a piece of luggage. Dang, and so the, the, dog dog hit on, the, the dog hit the on it. The dog that. hit on it. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, um, the canine guys, you know, I don't know for false, for false positive and stuff. I'm like, hey, I can do that for the rest of my life, you know, false positive. We've had real good luck with the tank, uh, you know, the, the canine guys, too. They're, you know, they're real helpful. You know, those dogs are wonderful. Um, Dang, that dog needs a raise. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he showed up the really other dog. Day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, they, they really uh, they really worked their weight in gold, you know. And uh, I had another job. That, uh, this guy was being tailed. He was being surveilled by I mean, the police, you know. Let's just say that. I, I don't know. It's narcotics or some secret unit. And I was looking at this guy. Well, he gets out of his house, and he's got what appears to be a bomb with him, like a piece of mortar. So they ended up stopping him, and. Um, they, hey, we got this thing in the car, so they call us, and you know, you know, in those situations, they call us bosses, and 
Oh, Deputy Chief gets there. Oh, okay. I get there. And I said, okay, where is it? It's in the car. Everything's pretty pretty evacuated. Good. I said, this is what I want to do. I just want to we'll get all the, everything we need. Let's do that now because I want to pick this thing up. I'm going to get it and we're going to go. We're not, we're not fooling around. We're just going to take it and be gone. It's like, okay. So he goes, before you do that, I want to evacuate those four houses on the corner, one on each corner. I said, okay. I said, I don't think you need to, but well, if, you know, if this thing explodes, I'm going to have to get a CR number on you, which is like a complaint. He goes, I don't want, let's not go through that. And Hey, you're the boss. This is, you know, that's fine. It, it didn't matter to me. And he's like, yeah, let's just do it that way. Okay. So he does that, and I'm ready to make my approach and this and that. You do understand, if this thing takes off on me, your CR number is going to be the least of my problems, right? <laughs> right. He's like, yeah, I know. I said, okay. <laughs> so we're on the same page. So we, we moved it, you know, and got it all there, but. I don't have any of those really, uh, you know, like I said, I, you know, there I was. Right. And the clock was ticking down. It doesn't, never happened. You know, I'm sure other members have, have had other experiences, but I, it, it hasn't been the, you know, the norm. You know, everyone's got those, ah, I wish it didn't happen like this, you know. Right. But, uh, no. Well. You know, so, let, no, go ahead. I, well, let me ask you, so. As an experienced bomb technician, if I if you had a choice between the red wire and the green wire, which one are you cutting? Yeah, we, we get that all the time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, doesn't at that matter. point, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> no, no, because you know we're not looking. My whole thing is, you know, they don't color code the wire for us. You know, it's always been, uh, you know, you're looking at different aspects of what what that wire does. You know, right. And we, we go from there. So, yeah, people ask us that all the time. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you know? yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I know we uh, went back and forth a little bit. I'm I'm happy that we finally got to do this and uh, uh, sit down with you. So, thank you very much. Uh, I hope oh. you enjoy the rest of your retirement. If you ever think of any more bomb stories, definitely send me a message and we'll we'll get you back on and, and you know let everybody yeah. listen to those. I'm stories. sorry, I don't have that, that much of a. I wish it was. I wish I had something. To, there I was. <laughs> well, you know what, Mark? The uh, essence of good storytelling is embellishment. So next time, uh, <laughs> we'll formulate <laughs> yeah. a plan. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll have a pre meeting. Yeah, we'll sit but, down. Uh, we'll watch a no, couple of these movies. It, so yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. And uh, every, you know, I, yeah, everything that happened on the movies that happened to me four times. <laughs> there you, now you're getting it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, All thank right, you well, very much. We appreciate you. Thank you for your service, Mark from CPD Bomb Squad. Thank retired. you for t- retired. And uh, <laughs> this has been Chicago's Bravest Stories. Thank you. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations. 